Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Um, Let me just go ahead and say that if you missed the prior hour of Mornings with Carmen, you have to go back and listen. Um, Both Ben Johnson and then my guest in the second half, who has more titles than I even know how uh, to put in the appropriate order. Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough III, also retired lieutenant colonel of the U.S. Army. Um, Wow. I'm telling you, that guy is a guy who's doing it. He's not just talking about it. He's doing it. Okay. So anyway, go back, grab the podcast. If you've not downloaded the uh, new and improved Faith Radio app, that's a great place to get the podcast and share it with someone else. So particularly those in the in the military, like that would be a great conversation to share with them because there's all kinds of things the American Bible Society is doing for our military personnel and their families, and we want people to know about it. Okay, uh, today is December the 10th, and so we are reading Luke chapter 10 in our Advent reading together. And I'm going to ask this question uh, as we enter into the conversation. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? It's a great holiday hymn this time of year. Do you see what I see? I don't actually know that that's the name of it, but that's the part of the song that I know. Um do you hear what I hear is the actual name of the song, Yeah, Paul? That's, yes, yes. Hmm. Do you hear what I hear? Yes. Um, so do you hear what I hear and do you see what I see? Those are going to be the questions I am going to ask you to consider as you re- read Luke chapter 10 today. So in this chapter of Scripture, you're going to uh, witness Jesus sending out the 72. If you've ever thought that, hey, discipleship uh, is just accomplished by those first 12 guys. Oh, no contrary. Um, lots of people are engaged and involved. Jesus is constantly calling unto himself, equipping and then deploying disciples to go out into the world um, to to spread the good news of the gospel, to honor who he is, and to do good things in his name. All right, we also get the parable of the Good Samaritan on the other end of the chapter. We uh, have a peek, a little window into uh, the household of Mary and Martha and their relationship with one another, their relationship with Jesus. Um, we're gonna we're gonna meet them again later in the story. They are the sisters of a guy named Lazarus. If you know um, his story, then you know who that resurrection is not just something that um, that uh, was accomplished in Christ on our behalf by the Father, but it's actually Jesus actually raised people from death to newness of life. Like it, I think just to prove that he could. Okay, so um, all right, I don't want you to miss what's right in the middle of the chapter. Right in the middle. Are verses 21 to 24. Do you hear what I hear? Do you see what I see? Those are the compelling questions. Here's the text. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. That's a reference to Jesus. This is talking about Jesus here. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son. Well, 
and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Friends, do you see Jesus for who he is? Do you believe God when God lays claim to Jesus, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased? Listen to him. Do you see what I see when you look at Jesus? Do you hear what he's saying? Let us cultivate the mind of Christ on the matters of the day. Let us have a gospel worldview. Let us see Jesus for who he really is. And then let us share the good news of that gospel with others. Peter Kapsner is up next. We'll be right back. Said the night wind to the Peter Kapsner's back. Welcome back, sir. Thanks, Carmen. It was, uh, it was so fun to be in studio with you earlier this week and with all the listeners. I mean, I know you've referenced it a number of times, but what, what, we're just so grateful for the outpouring of support. It was in the midst of all this pandemic. It was quite a, a beautiful week. Yes, and I am now appropriately socially distanced from you by a thousand miles. Yeah, seems, I would say that seems, that, that, that seems maybe a little aggressive in the social distancing, <laughs> but we're pretty sure it's effective as well. Uh, okay. The stars, well, in this case, the planets, are literally aligning. They are, indeed. Like how fun right? is that? I'm letting you be the bearer of the news. Talk with us well, about I mean, this. This is the first time it's happened, happened in 800 years. Yeah, at least not this close. I, I, from what I understand is that uh, it, it's Jupiter and Saturn, right, two of the largest yep. uh, uh, planets in our solar system. And, and they come together somewhat regularly in, in the night sky, but never, or not never, but uh, as you said, it's it's 800 years since they've been this close together. And of course, there's a few things that uh, that happen in this circumstance in terms of the brightness of the sky. And I think understandably, uh, Christians and, and non-Christians as well, there's a couple angles by which we're considering this, this uh, astro, astronomical um, phenomenon. And that is well, would this be evidence of maybe the star of Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago? I mean, there, there's obviously so much writing and speculation done about what that star was. Was it a convergent of planet, convergence of planets like this is right now? And, and it could be. I mean, absolutely, it could be. We, we can't say that it isn't, or it could be some other uh, phenomenon that happened, too. But I think also, too, right, people, there's there's been so much interest in whether this pandemic is one of the many signs that might portend the coming of Jesus and, and the return of our King. And so when we start looking up into the heavens for signs as well, you, you begin to wonder, gosh, is this, uh, is this part of it? And, and you know, they, they probably were saying the same thing 800 years ago on some level. So I think we have to be a little careful about the latter uh, part in terms of reading the heavenly signs a, as a way of interpreting whether or not Jesus is returning. I do, I do love whether, whether the star of Bethlehem was a convergence of these two planets in the night sky or whether it was something else. I, I, it does feel like a little bit of a gift at this time of year, right? It just, just to be able to say, hey, look, the God of heaven is still here. He is still present. 
he's probably a lot more majestic and glorious and uh, and, and powerful than we would ever dare guess. And in the midst of all of this uh, uncertainty and, and all of this powerlessness that we feel in terms of we don't know if we're going to get the virus, we're locked down, all of these kinds of um, what we experience uh, day in and day out right now. It, it's just kind of it's a nice headline in the midst of all of it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it gives us, I think, an opportunity to um, you know, highlight the truth of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. I think it gives us an opportunity to um, talk about the Magi who followed yes. this star that rose in the east that, um, that they had been uh, literally awaiting and tracking for hundreds of years since the days that Daniel um, lived among them. Like the, the reason that the Magi know to follow the star um, to seek out this king, this king of kings, is because Daniel had, you know, set them up to, uh, to recognize this, and they had retained this knowledge over hundreds of years. It's a, it's a great opportunity to talk about um, the star, the star of Bethlehem, and then ultimately the star of the whole show, which is Jesus. Right. All right. So um, I want to talk about uh, whether or not you have a Christmas tree and I want to talk about what color it is. That's up next (laughs) here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. uh, One listener says, hey, why don't we be sure we allow this astronomical event, the alignment of these stars, to draw the attention of the world to Jesus. Amen. Oh, amen. amen. I mean, I, I, <laughs> our, I do want to... Our listeners are better than we are, Peter. You know, they are. They are, <laughs> They're, Carmen. Just for, They're just better. They said it in one sentence. Long time. Yeah, Carmen, you could have just summed that up in one sentence. Allow this astronomical event, which is drawing the attention of the world, to direct people to Jesus. Well, amen. Amen. Amen and amen. All right. Amen uh, is right. Do you have a Christmas tree, Peter? Is it inside the house? It is, Carmen. It was just we were a little late to the game on this one, and uh, I'm surprised. We we, we went out uh, two nights ago with three of our five kids and uh, decided to go Christmas tree hunting, and and we went to the first uh, place called the Garden Patch here locally, and there was only one Christmas tree <laughs> left that even had no. any possibility. We were so late to the game, and it was a, a true Charlie Brown esque <laughs> Christmas tree. I mean. <laughs> We, we flipped it around to the other side, and there's just gaping holes in this thing. And we thought, oh, gosh, this is the saddest Christmas tree, and I'm, I'm sure we could do it. We did manage to find one uh, a little bit further down the road than that. So we do have a freshly cut Christmas tree uh, in our home as of about two days ago. The the branches are falling. We're waiting uh, for that to happen so we can start decorating, I'm sure, this weekend. All right. We, uh, we think we have the prettiest Christmas tree um, that we've ever had, um, but I think it's because we bought one that is really soft but that also yeah. means you can't put very heavy ornaments on it at all. <laughs> like they just right slide off. Right? Yeah. off. They're like, it's like a, yeah. So, okay. Um, I, uh, I want to ask you about apparently a phenomenon taking place in some places across the country. I got to tell you, I don't think this is happening in my neck of the woods. Um, yeah. But people are putting up Christmas trees that are black, black Christmas trees. I, I will tell you, I was com- completely not familiar with this. I wasn't either. I was actually a little disturbed by some of the pictures of it at first. And I thought, oh, no, what's happening here? You know, are we going to some sort of dark, uh, <clears throat> angsty goth place with, with Christmas now? And, and I wasn't entirely sure. 
it, it sounds like some people are in 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 wanting to sort of represent the times in their own mind and and say, hey, it's been a dark year. We're going to get a black Christmas tree. But it, it sounds like for most people, they are doing it. Uh, one person was a photographer, for example, who loves black and white um, photo photography, which I do too. I think there, there's a real elegance and in, in, in a class to black and white photography. So the black Christmas tree was was better for that. And there was a variety of reasons like that 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 seemed pretty mundane. They seemed pretty neutral. But I also understand the concern for people to say, well, I mean, a black is you know so often um, again associated with with sort of the goth movement and our. And artistic ways of representing things that, again, are a little angsty for some. So is that what we're doing here? You know, Carmen, I'm sure you've had people on the show talk about it, but the origin of the Christmas tree has, you know, it didn't start as a Christian symbol in any way, shape or form. So if we're really concerned that a Christmas tree has to be green, well, let's go backwards a ways. And and before Christians sort of co-opted and tried to sanctify, I suppose, the Christmas tree. It was uh, very much a pagan symbol being used to celebrate the winter solstice among the Celts and the Druids and, and many of sort of the, the pagan faiths of the land. And many symbols that we have in our Christian faith today, like the Christian fish, there's quite a bit of speculation that seems to have uh, a, a lot of historical grounding to it, that the Christian fish was a Babylonian symbol of fertility. You can, you can go uh, and through many examples where the Christian church has taken something that is secular or something that is pagan and and has sanctified it. It's it's very possible to do that. We we do that in America even. The very idea, I think, Carmen, that, that many of us want to sanctify our vocations uh, is, is a good example of um, something that is a little bit unique over the last 400 years in Western culture. Uh, there's There's not the same kind of sanctification of vocation that happened in the biblical text or among the Jews as well. It doesn't mean our vocations are not sanctified, but uh, but I think we sometimes over-spiritualize those things as well. And so, you know, it's one of those things where the headline is an attention grabber, right, on so many levels. But when you dig into the story a bit, I don't know that it's something we should be overly concerned about. That said, I, I wouldn't like the look uh, of, a, you know, a purple Christmas tree in my house or a magenta one or something like that. And I wouldn't like a black one either. It, it seems to, to not be the holiday season then. Whew. Um, Peter, I would agree. Um, so as I read the article, one of the things that stood out to me um, that people are, first of all, putting up fake Christmas trees. So, right, this is about artificial yep. Christmas trees. People are not spray painting real trees black. They are buying Christmas trees online um, that are lots of different colors. And it reminded me um, that that there are lots of different ways to decorate during this season. And I was kind of surprised, or maybe not surprised, people actually put these black trees up for Halloween, and then they just leave them up through New Year's, yeah. right? So that's a part of what's going on here, um, is extending the, the quote-unquote Christmas or holiday season to all the way back to incorporate Halloween so that from Halloween through New Year's, they have this black tree up um, and they change the, the they at least change some of the uh, decorations. They take the Halloween decorations off and then they put whatever they're putting on a quote unquote Christmas tree. I got to tell you, that seems like an opportunity for Christians to engage in a culture conversation because yes. um, uh, the adaptation of the Christmas tree for the use of a celebration at Halloween really, really seems to put into stark relief the um, uh, the the reality of, um, uh, I mean, if you want to talk about pagan origin, origins, right? I yeah. mean, that's what's going on there. 
Well, and I, I think that that does give us an invitation to even talk about origins uh, of these different kinds of um, rituals and celebrations that we do so that we don't get overly attached to them, right, on, on one level and recognize, again, I know it's so cliche to say, well, Christmas is about the birth of the newborn king upon whose you know shoulders a government that will be eternal will rest forever and ever, and, and we can't lose sight of that. And this does give us a little bit of an opportunity, as you said, because I, I understand maybe the artistic part of it on some level, but when we begin to maybe haphazardly put up a symbol that we feel like can be associated with both Halloween and Christmas, whew, there is a good opportunity for conversations. And that, that is the one part of it that I thought, mm, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I would do that. I don't want to make the Christmas tree green being Christian. Uh, I really don't want to do that. But at the same time, we do have that association and it does create space for, for conversation uh, entirely, for sure. All right, uh, Peter, um, let's talk about this other headline that um, <clears throat> plastic surgeons say business is up partly because clients don't <laughs> like how they look on Zoom. Now, let me tell you, Zoom's got all kinds of like filters and I don't I mean, I'm just I like you can look pretty good on Zoom if you if you try at all. So, um, yeah, what I, I guess this this is an indication, though, of genuinely how obsessed we are. I mean, genuinely yeah. obsessed with um, with how we look outward appearance and the inward heart is so much more important. However, the outward appearance matters. I mean, I'm not saying that my body's not a temple of the Holy Spirit. It absolutely matters. It's critical. But um, I mean, how we treat the body matters. But talk with us about what's going on here. Yeah, gosh, it's just another example, right? An extension of the social media culture in which you are sort of wanting to present a sanitized version of yourself. And and on one level, I, I understand why people are concerned because in the article said this, I was thinking that, and then, and then the article addressed it a bit, is that in conversation, we're normally not looking at ourselves, right? When we're in conversation face-to-face -face with people, it's not like you walk around with a mirror all day checking yourself out as you're also sitting over coffee with somebody. And uh, and because we are so obsessed with how we appear to other people and that that can take on the form of how we appear physically, it can take on the form of how we appear in the language choices that we use where we don't want to be, quote unquote, judged. It can take on the appearance of, of how we appear spiritually, you know, with, with other people. Do, do we appear spiritually put together? You, you name it. We are always concerned with our appearance. And and uh, Zoom has really highlighted that because, again, you can sit in an hour long meeting and and be noticing how you are looking on the camera and and it, it even starts that way right you before you go into the zoom meeting you get your camera positioned you make sure everything looks good you make sure all the technology is there but then you probably do end up checking yourself out a bit and in how you are appearing and it's it is really unfortunate it is it is anxiety creating on every level and uh, i was with some people um we know a, a, a person in our life that had uh, plastic surgery and has regular injections of Botox. And, and uh, I know another person alongside this person as well, who said, you know, uh, I'm, I'm moving into my 40s and into my 50s. And, and I've earned every line on my face. I've earned every wrinkle that is there. This is um, part of the way that life goes. Uh, life is not an easy journey. Our bodies are in a constant state of decay and disorganization. We do need to have them raised imperishable, right? But but I want the wrinkles on my face and, and the lines that are going to come and the sagginess that there that's there. That represents me. And, and, and every one of those things is a mark uh, from something in my journey that I want to own instead of shy away from, as opposed to the other person who is having Botox regularly. There, it, it, over time, this person be, it, it is a 
increasingly sort of a shell of themselves as we knew them when they were 25 and 30 and 35. Now, I don't want to be overly critical of plastic surgery, but, but I do think that it represents a, a hollowness in the approach to life in terms of the embrace of what this journey is about. In a broken and exiled world, we are going to earn our lines. I mean, they're going to be part of it, and it's going to come from sorrow and sadness. And and it's because there is such sorrow and sadness that then the great hope of the kingdom, it, you know, explodes in the midst of it. And and that's what I would want to pay attention to is be able to say, I am. I mean, Jesus walked out of this life with scars, and and we are too. And and I want to think about why that is and what the what the wonderful hope is of our future instead of just trying to cling to the things of this life and worry about how I look all the time. Now, I'm not going to come in all slovenly in the studio, right? I mean, there's there's a way to present ourselves, but boy, we can get overly concerned with all of this. Yeah, the critical spirit that we can adopt um, toward others is then also a critical spirit that we uh, can either have toward ourselves or fail to have appropriately toward ourselves as well. I just, I, I'm also aware, Peter, that, you know, there's just a lot of rationalization of sin. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I just, I feel like the two are connected somehow. Um, we're, we're not seeing ourselves correctly. Maybe that's, maybe that's the bottom line. We're not seeing I ourselves did. correctly. I think that's exactly it, Carmen. I think if we can look at ourselves through the lens of how God sees us, and that can, again, be too tired of a cliche, but to step back, uh, I don't think he looks down upon us as like, you know what, that's a little saggy under the left eye. You better, you know, inject something into that deal. And, you know, just to, to see ourselves the way our Father sees us, how great is the love that the Father has lavished, that we would be children of God. And when I look at my kids, I'm not sitting there thinking, gosh, uh, I wish they looked a little bit better. You know, you just you just love being in their presence and you love all of what they bring to the table and, and uh, in terms of their appearance. And and uh, and I just I think that God is pretty generous in that with us. Yeah. All right. Hey, Peter Kapsner, thanks so much. We got to take a break for Breakpoint. We'll be right back. Angels, we have heard on high winging their way across the earth. We're going to talk with artist Ann Nielsen about angels and her new book by that same title. We'll be right back. This is Max Locato. A friend of mine asked her students to make a list of questions they would like to ask Mary. What was Jesus's first word? Did he ever get sick? Did Jesus ever misbehave? All legitimate questions. And the fact that we can ask them raises a greater one. Why did God go so far? Why did he become a human being? A chief reason? He wants you to know that he gets you. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, he understands how you feel and has faced what you face. Jesus has been through the weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Because of Bethlehem, you can boldly go to him. This is Max Locato. If you are familiar with her artwork, then your heart just um, 
exalted. Uh, she is a lifelong artist. She became nationally renowned for um, her beautiful angel series. Her paintings inspire uh, reflections upon faith and um, and joy and, frankly, the supernatural among us. Ann Nielsen, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, thank you, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. So we're celebrating with you the um, the publication of a new book, Angels, Devotions and Art to Encourage, Refresh, and Inspire. Um, but we're really talking today about art and the love of the Lord and the reality that we're not alone. Exactly, yes. I, I just, you know, I feel like the Lord, um, you know, God just deposited in me at such a young age. I knew that I wanted to be an artist and um, I kind of, it was, it was not, you know, a straightforward road. It was a very, um, bumpy road. I even made a D minus in 10th grade art. <laughs> um, but I knew that, um, you know, that, that is the, the, you know, just the desires he gave, he put down in my heart and deep in my soul. And it's just become, uh, my life song. Well, and for Thank people you. who are, yeah, for people who are familiar with, um, with the artwork, uh, particularly angels, right? I mean, this has become the thing for which you are most well-known. Um, I'm guessing that you probably actually paint other things as well. But you kind of <laughs> became but you kind of became known as this being the thing, right? So talk a little bit about the inspiration um, for even maybe the first angel you ever painted. Why did you start painting angels? Um, and, and how did it become the thing for which you are so well-known? Well, I'll tell you, I, um, so before I ever got married and had a family, I, I had my own little business as a pottery business, but then got married, quickly had four children, and I was in the throes of um, being a mom and raising my children, and we built a house, and I, I had gone to a friend's uh, uh, art show, and I came home, and I just was sobbing, I'm like, I've got to paint, I've got to create, and my husband just said, there'll be a time for that. Um, so when we built our house, I had a little studio and when my kids were off at school, I would pop in my studio, praise music blaring, I paint to praise music. And that was kind of my worship time. And, and I did paint, I painted other, um, landscapes, figures, still lives, but I wanted something that reflected my faith. Not that I'm an angel, <laughs> but I, um, and I, I just, I experimented with different colors and textures and out popped this colorful angel. Um, I sent a picture to my sister and I said, you know, what do you think? And she did, she replied back to me and said, I think you found your voice. Mm. And I just, you know, and this was just a hobby, a hobby. I would paint in my sunny little studio at home. Um, once a quarter, a couple of times a year, I would have a big art, you know, show where I would invite other, you know, artists and people that had creative talents into my home. And we would have a big old pop-up shop and I would sell those angels, you know, right off my kitchen counter. And, um, and that went on for, you know, about a year. And then I, I, I started volunteering at a homeless shelter. And I left there one day. It was such a powerful day. I um, I was in the kitchen preparing the physical food, and there were about 300 homeless neighbors out in the um, gym 
receiving the spiritual food. There was a big revival going on, a preacher and some worship music. And they, these people had nothing, yet they were worshiping God as if, if they had everything. And it was so powerful. And I left there that day, got into my brand new car. I was heading to my brand new home and I just was sobbing. Like, how am I going to do all this? How am I going to be a great wife, a good mom? You know, my passion was to paint and my heart wanted to serve. And I clearly heard the Lord say, paint and give back. And that afternoon I came home and we had, you know, the old timing answer machines that you had to rewind. And my little tiny paintings that were selling at my kitchen counter had now gone into some stores. And this friend of mine that owned a store called and said, this lady from out of town came in and she purchased all three of your original angels. And I knew Mm. that this was now this, this journey, this, um, this new path for me of painting and giving back. And the angels just, you know, they just start speaking to people. And um, there's so many stories. Hence, that's why I've written so many books. Um, Right. And so we want want people to be able to find you um, and to find this devotional book um, and, frankly, to see the angels if they haven't already. Ann Nielsen Home, H-O-M-E dot com. Ann Nielsen Home dot com is where you can find Ann and the angels and um, the beautiful artwork and the devotional uh, that we're talking about today, which is Angels, Devotions, and Art to Encourage, Refresh, and Inspire. And Nielsen and I are going to be right back. I'm going to ask her about balancing um, all of that, those four kids, and a growing business, and a passion to paint. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about all of that in just a moment. We'll be right back. Angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight. For all the earth, ye who sang Talking with Ann Nielsen, artist and philanthropist, mom, business owner, a person who elevates other artists through her fine art gallery, on and on and on and on and on. And um, I'm going to use the word balance, and then I'm going to ask you if that's the right word to use. How do you integrate all of all of these? threads into, um, you know, into a life that doesn't just feel overwhelming? Uh, That's a great question. Um, And I I will tell you that early on, the number one, you know, word that people would tell me is, oh my gosh, you're so busy. You're so busy. You're so busy. And, you know, if you, if you really think about it, we're all so busy, whether you're a mom with little toddlers or, you know, in the workforce or an artist running several businesses, Um, and I just said, I don't want to glorify that word. I came up with a, uh, um, acronym for busy and it's be uniquely serving Yahweh by using what is specifically yours. And I just, you know, I don't, I don't feel busy. I think balancing, you know, it, it just, I, I tell my team all the time, if we have surrendered hands, and surrendered hearts, and we just allow the Lord to go before us. It's you know, it it, it come it's balanced. It's it's not busy, and um, it didn't happen overnight. I mean, you know, I really truly this whole journey. I would, you know, think oh, should I be doing this or should I not be doing this? And you know, God would always you know hit me upside the head. This is what I've called you to do. This is what mm-hmm. I've called you to do. So um, I just I know that I am using my gifts for the glory of God and for his kingdom. 
Um, and if we just truly seek him um, first, he will go before us and all things will fall into place. All things. I wanna, uh, all things. Absolutely. I, um, we're focusing on all things right now at church from Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 31. You know, will, will he mm-hmm. who gave us Christ not then give us all things? So all um, things. I'm a little... I'm a little fixated on the all things that come with Christ right now. Um, uh, the, the book lifts up, explores lots of different words. Um, and I'm wondering, I mean, no, there's, there's a litany, create, rest, release, love, abundance. I'm wondering if you can just give people a little bit of a peek into what we're doing here, because in addition to painting and representing this unseen realm that is present among us all the time that we often ignore, these angels, um, you're, you're bringing Scripture to light and to life in this devotional. So can maybe just share with us, uh, unpack one of these words. Oh, gosh, okay. Um, well, and everybody is asking, you know, why, why a devotional? And I, um, I want to go back to the very first book that I ever self-published, you know, People Wanted the Angels. There's so many stories um, and I just decided to self-publish a coffee table book. Well, coffee table books go on your count, your coffee table and they sit there and rarely do you read it. And I have one girl um, email me after several months of that book sitting on her coffee table. And she said, oh, my gosh, I read it cover to cover. It's my new devotional. And I thought, well, that's mm. a little bit awkward and a little bit heavy. Let's get working on a devotional. And God, already, he already knew. He already had gone before me and planned this amazing like, uh, you know, published devotion. And, and we were, you know, toying, what do we do? 365 days. And what does it look like? And we settled on 40 words. 40 is a, you know, very significant number in the Bible. Um, and I just, you know, sat and, and came up with these words. I, I feel like my life is a walking devotional, truly. Um, I feel like God shows me a lot of the stuff, you know, in the physical and the, which correlates in the spiritual. And um, so I just and like I said, I paint these pray, to these to praise and these angels. And we all, you know, we all start out like with a blank canvas. And um, and as we journey through life and whether it's, you know, trials and tribulations, um, joyful times. God adds, you know, color and texture along the path. And I, that's kind of how I, you know, see these angels, you know, it's mm. a blank canvas. I have my headphones, my praise music blaring. I allow the Holy Spirit just to flow out onto the canvas and create these ethereal beings um, that really, truly have made connections with people who have suffered loss or going mm-hmm. through a hard time or going through joyful times. So when we decided on this devotional, we said 40 words. I think words are powerful. Um, words could either tear, you know, build up or tear down. And um, I talk about uh, in the very beginning of the book that I was a um, third grade teacher for a year before I ever started this art career in my family. And um, when I walked into that classroom, uh, the teacher that was the previous teacher said, oh, this child, he's a talker, he's a disruptive, he's this, you know, she had labels on all these children. And the first thing that I did was remove those labels and replace them with life-giving words 
that these children and that I could cling to. And so I just, we, we came up with all these words, life, um, you know, life is short, live it. Uh, love is rare, grab it. Anger is bad, dump it. Fear is awful, face it. Um, memories are sweet, cherish them. Friends are precious, embrace them. And God is good, praise him. And yeah, just, you know, we want to praise him 24-7. Not just in the morning at your quiet time, it's 24-7. Amen. I feel like you've probably heard this before. When I um, when I shared uh, with some little people who are in my life, when I showed them the pictures of your angels, I'm always looking for, you know, like, what are the reaction and responses of other people? Um, Evelyn appreciated that they are an unrefined mess. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Because she and that is, is constantly... She's constantly told to color where? And between inside the lines. Inside Don't those outside. lines. Right? Don't and she's go learning. Outside the lines. I'm yes. saying she's learning how to do that. She's absolutely learning to restrict her little creative spirit to color inside those lines. And she loved that your angels are an unrefined mess. I love that. I'm going to have to use that somewhere. That's probably why I made a D minus in um, 10th grade art. Because <laughs> I was going outside the line. <laughs> the other thing that is distinctive, um, and I'm sure others have commented on this before, um, they don't have faces. Talk about that. Right. Um, you know, I just, I don't really know why I, it started out that way and they've just evolved over these 17 years And I think that's where people um, really have a connection. Um, And I'll share a story with you. I I was, um, Kathy Lee Gifford is one of my dearest friends, and that's a whole long story because of the first book. But we were doing a show in Florida. This was several years ago. We were doing a book signing, and then I was doing a little art show. And, um, and as I was preparing for the show, I was praying and painting and I was just tell, asking the Lord, you know, I do not want these to be just manufactured angels on a canvas, you know, out there in the world. I want them to have deep meaning and connection with the person that they're going to, you know, the collector that's going to buy this art. Um, and we get to Florida and I was talking with a girl and she had just lost her father. And so we were sharing some stories and I signed a book to her and, you know, we hugged goodbye. And about a few minutes later, she did a beeline and came back sobbing. And she said, I have never had art speak to me this, mm-hmm. the way that the painting at the front door spoke to me and just, I mean, sobbing. And I just was like, that was just another confirmation that, you know, as long as I surrender to him, um, he, he's going to go before me in all things. There you go again, all things. Um, so I just, it's kind of my ethereal, uh, abstract, impressionistic way of painting. Um, and they don't have faces. They're, they're either kind of um, just very obscure um. Amen. I love it. I love. I just love it. I love. Um, I love how they cross over the line between the seen and the unseen. Yeah. I love that yes. their edges are not. Uh, you know, not clear. 
and um, oh, and I love nice. that they that they speak to us um, without their own mouths. Like I think yes. that's what yes. angels are all about. So, yes. um, and yes. Nielsen, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Beautiful life, beautiful life of discipleship. Um, anybody that uh, experiences their life as a walking devotional, uh, that's discipleship, and that's worth following. So, guys, I want you guys to check out um, Anne's artwork and her books, everything actually at annenielsenhome.com. Anne, thank you so much for joining us today on Oh, Carmen, thank you so much. Just a pleasure. We'll be right back. Praying with you and for you today, uh, I recognize the challenges that confront each and every one of us, but we do not confront those challenges alone. We confront them with the very power of the name of Jesus. And so for those of you who need to hear this this morning, um, I recognize that the enemy is prowling around looking for a way to devour you. Um, And I pray he be bound in the name of Jesus. The person who's listening right now um, knows that prayer is for you. Um, Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.